0: Um Darren, first of all thank you for having us here. We're nothing. We're men and women who are making the same journey that you are. I'm not talking to you today because I've arrived I have such a long way to go. And it's okay. And you need to understand that wherever you are in your life, it's okay. Because there's nothing going on in your life. There's nothing happening. There's no trial. There's no tribulation. There's nothing at all. Oh, don't do that. Nothing at all that surprises the Father. Do you know that wherever you are, he is able to get you where you need to go? So right now, I break off in the name of Jesus every spirit of performance, that stops you from being everything God called you to be. And they had an interesting conversation and something the Lord had showed me a long time ago. Life is a testimony of your spiritual walk. You come into the world absolutely dependent. You live your life And as your life winds down, you become absolutely dependent. In your spiritual walk, you are born again and you are absolutely dependent. And as you make that journey, you have seasons of independence to become absolutely dependent. I want you to understand something. I don't speak today to help make you stronger Christians. I speak today to help you become more dependent Christians. You become more dependent on Christ. So, everything that we do is born out of getting to know God. And that journey is always increasing. God's so big, you'll spend eternity getting to know Him. You might as well may be making that journey right now. You see, Christians, eternal life came the day you were born again. Not at the end of your life. Because the end of your life is the just to transition into the journey with God as it continues. Do you understand that? So... If you don't know God that way, I want to encourage you to get to know God that way. We continue to walk this walk, not to arrive. We continue to walk this walk to look like him. And the only way I get to look like him is when I hang out with him more and more all the time. Because His presence is so powerful, it's so glorious. Remember the story of Moses when he got up on the mountain and he came down from the mountain, the glory of the Lord was so strong on him. And that was under the old covenant. We have a new covenant, a better covenant. And this relationship with Christ, this growing in Christ, is much better than that which is old. And so we make this journey, and we continue to grow in Him and look like Him. You can't help yourself but act like Him. I don't think about doing the right thing anymore. I do the right thing because that's who He is in me. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I have been bought and paid for. I am no longer my own. So my life doesn't become about the works anymore. I do what I do because of who he is. That's it. You know, I'm not going to get to heaven and go, hey, look what I did. I hope the father looks at me and he says, I see my son. That's what I want. Because if he can see his son, he knows all the works that he's done through us. I can't take credit for that. Do you understand? You know, I sit in here and worship today, and I probably spent more time trying to stop myself from crying, and you can see that I have failed miserably at controlling that. But all I could think about, many years ago, my wife and I were a part of the body of Christ, uh, a particular body, and uh, called Hosanna Christian Fellowship, and the worship was glorious because the presence of God would come in, and it would just—you would just be lost in it. I, so I felt today lost in people that are just worshiping God; nothing else mattered. And I'd say that because I want you to appreciate what goes on right now when you're worshiping, because that church that we went to no longer exists. And we have probably spent since the late 90s to now wondering where we could find the presence of God in worship like this. So I'm just a desert rat from Arizona please value what God gives you now. You never know where that journey takes you. All right, what time do I have to talk till? No, no, no. I could worship. I, I could talk all day, which is tragic. Um, um, what time is it? The Amazing Race starts when? Huh? Quarter past 10. Okay, that's 10, not teen, teen. Teen? how do you say that? Ten? Ten. Okay. I'm sorry, my English is very bad and so I always have to have him help me understand. <laughs> oh, is the Queen's English? Is that what you and and then I was wondering what the queen what a queen was. Okay, okay, I remember now. <laughs> <laughs> just that's typical united states rhetoric right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> all right <laughs> so today i want to encourage you anything something in getting to know the lord you've got to read the word okay it's just a part of what you do and I don't want it to be a chore, but I just want to communicate to you the best I know how on reading the Word. And you read the Word, read the Word, read the Word, okay? Every time I talk to you, if I, if I get invited back again, I'm going to tell you, read the Word, read the Word, read the Word. And I'm going to tell you to practice listening to God. Do you know that if you can sit down, put on your alarm for 20 minutes, your timer on your phone, And call it quiet time before God. And if you need to, set the timer and sit down and shut up. Because the best thing you can do to learn to hear the voice of God is sit down and shut up. So I'm a Christian businessman and I have meetings with two different groups that follow the Lord. And do you know what it starts off with? 20 to 25 minutes of listening to God. I want to encourage you in something else. Get friends together and call it listening to God with friends. And all get together and put the watch on and for 20 minutes, shut up. Watch what God does. Watch what God does. Because man does not live by bread alone, but of every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I want you to understand something. In the Bible, that word for word is the Greek translation of rhema, which means an utterance from God. So man does not live by bread alone, but of every utterance from God. That's different than logos. Logos. Now, you have to have the logos, the written word, but you also have to hear his voice because your life is about reflecting what the Holy Spirit says. And you can't do it any other way. You know, I love, I love in the word of God, you know, the disciples, they walked around with Jesus all the time. And yet there comes an instance in their life when they begin to hear the Holy Spirit. Now, let me show you something. Turn with me to John Chapter Chapter twenty one. Says after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, "I am going fishing." They said to him, "We will also come with you." And they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But that when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Now notice something. Simon Peter goes back to what he's good at. He's a fisherman. That's what he started as. Jesus is no longer here. They're trying to figure out what do we do. So they go out in that night. Now remember, Peter is experienced at what he does, right? He knows when to fish, when not to fish, when it's good, when it's not too good. So he has all this business experience. So Jesus standing on the beach and now understand something. The disciples do not recognize it was Jesus. OK, so they're out, they're hanging out, they're fishing and they don't see it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Do you have any fish? Do you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast, and when they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish, not have to ask this question. If these men who were followers of Jesus were doing a job that they were experienced in, excuse me, I need to blow my nose, excuse me. Because my wife's going to yell at me if I keep (laughs) sniffing. Thank you. So it says, These experienced individuals who've been fishing all night now know what to do. And Jesus, this voice, yells at them and says, Put the net on the other side. So you have to ask yourself, Why do they do this? Doesn't make any sense, does it? So when they cast it over to the other side, they catch this great catch. Now I want you to go back a chapter. Because I'm going to tell you why they do this. John chapter 20, starting at verse 19. Now, remember, up to this time, the disciples only have this interaction with Jesus and what he says. So in verse 19, so when it was evening on the day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them both his hands and his sides, and the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace with you, as the Father sent me, I also send you. And when he said this to them, he breathed on them and said to them, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Do you know why the disciples, after fishing all night, knowing full well how to do their job, listen to a voice that they don't recognize on the beach because it's the first time they hear the Holy Spirit talking to them. And though they don't recognize what's going on, that voice inside them, because you see right there that they had received the Holy Spirit, that voice inside them speaks to them and says what? Throw the net on the other side. Now I want you to understand something. What happens immediately after they catch all this fish? Go back to John chapter 21. What happened? They recognize him. Sometimes we don't recognize. When Jesus is talking. But he takes you on the journey. And he already told you. That he's given you the Holy Spirit. Right? And the Holy Spirit. Will never leave you. Never forsake you. It lives right in here. And so from that day forward. They start to get this inkling what it means to hear the voice of god in a new testament way while jesus has departed you have that too you have that too and you know what's so fascinating about it is that when the whole when we respond to what the holy spirit's taken us it takes us right to recognizing who jesus was in that whole thing And so when you know God in such a way that you know that he's put the Holy Spirit in you and that he orders the steps of the righteous, you get to see Jesus. Isn't that fascinating? The fact that there was this transition from moving to that face-to-face look and yet he gave us the promise of the Holy Spirit to still have that hand-to-hand walk in getting to know him. Everything that we do is centered out of what he is, what he tells us. Now, I want you to understand something. This isn't about hearing God's voice Or not hearing God's voice, let me say it this way. This isn't about getting it right or wrong. This is about trusting God enough, knowing that He will give you the right direction and move you as you need to be moved. So don't be paralyzed by the fear of God or by the fear of failing God. Do you know something? God knows every mistake you're going to make from this day forward going on. You're the only one who doesn't think you're going to make any more mistakes. And every mistake you made is not a surprise to him. So you have to know that when you do something in faith or what you think that God has spoken, you have to trust God enough or know him well enough to what? Know that he'll correct you when you need correcting. Hey, let's go fishing. Hey, let's this wasn't successful. Holy Spirit says what? Throw the net on the other side. They hear the voice and something inside them witnesses. They end up with a great harvest and they get to see Jesus. It's God-centered. It's not man-centered. And really, as we begin to get to know God or make this journey in knowing him, it becomes more God-centered and less man-centered. I have a saying that I like to say, man, choices don't make a man, choices reveal a man. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. Do choices have consequences? Let me hear everybody's marbles rattled in their head. Yes, they do. Okay, so you didn't hear me tell you not to make the right choice, did I? No, Dave, you didn't say that. Okay. But here's what you do need to know. You're going to choose after who you know. You're going to either choose by the flesh or you're going to choose by the Spirit. There's only two ways in this world to walk. Do you understand what I'm saying? So we... God, we want to walk by your Spirit. And you know everything, every decision that we're going to make. But let's, God, just please, Lord, give me wisdom. God, give me wisdom at work on how to solve that problem. God, give me wisdom at school how to deal with that, that, that teacher, that student, that friend, that bully. Whatever it is, there's nothing in your life that the Holy Spirit can't give you instructions on how to deal with it. You were created to reflect him and in reflecting him you hear him to seek it, to to walk after how he's guided you. Let me show you something else. Let's go to da, 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 Luke chapter 17 verse 5. We want things to be God-centered. I love it when I like to use this illustration when a doctor learns to be a doctor. He learns the disciplines of being a doctor, right? You go through all kinds of education. You learn how to think like a doctor. But then one day, the doctor starts being a doctor. And he doesn't wrestle with what to choose. He just is. Do you understand the walk of Christianity is much the same way? We learn the disciplines and discipleship of what it means to be a Christian. But there comes some day when you're just a Christian. It's no longer talk about the right or wrong choice of what you're doing. You just do what you do because of who you are. And as a church, we need to do a better job with that. We need, to, we need to stop creating rules and regulations to such a degree that we never come into being what we are. You know what the, be- you know what the hardest job in the Bible is? Being the prodigal parent. You know why? Because the prodigal parent knows what's going to go on with the kids if they make that decision. And yet they say, here, be blessed. Do what you got to do. And they get to walk through the pain far away of the decision of that prodigal child will be. And when everything else fails, knowing full well that it's going to take that process to get them to come back. And then what do we do? Open our arms, just like the Father did for us. Open our arms, love them. So you have to ask the question, is it the character of God to be a prodigal father? Yes, it is. You see, God's allowed you to make a lot of mistakes in your life. And he's always there, open arms, knowing full well that that trail that you went on was designed and used and allowed that it might bring him, you back to him. Get rid of shame, get rid of guilt. You get 10 minutes to stay there. And after the 10 minutes is over, you move on into the things of God. If your heart condemns you, God's greater than a heart and knows all things. If your heart condemns you not, you have confidence towards God. God God-centered, not man-centered. Can you imagine what this world would be like If God was waiting on you to get it right, he'd never get anything done. And we chuckle about it, and yet that's the stark reality and a testimony of his great love for you. No matter where you are, what you do, I love you. I'll allow you to grow through it. God-centered. God-centered. All right, so... 17.5. We got a few more minutes here. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it will obey you. Now I want you to understand something. The apostles were looking at faith as though it was something that was man-centered. Now, I would ask you, and I don't want to see your hands, but how many of us would make that proclamation increase our faith? Just, I don't want to know. (laughs) And that means that we're trying to do something that's man centered instead of God centered. So his answer, see, I asked the Lord, I was hanging out with God one day, and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, I said, what kind of response is that to somebody that's asking you to have more faith? And the Lord says to me, David, I just told them what they had. This is what faith looks like, and they don't have it. The Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted, be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. So I have this question, and you can raise your hand for this because I do want to know the answer to this. How many of you have told the mulberry tree to be uprooted and planted somewhere else and it obeyed you? quick, quick show of hands. Oh, please. <laughs> and I always wonder, Holy cow, God. That means these guys didn't have any faith. And you know what? That's exactly wanted him to want what he wanted them to know. Because when you find out what you don't have, then what kind of position does that put you in? God, you've got to give me the faith. You see what I'm saying? God, you've got to give it to me. That's why he told them what it looked like. So anytime the, the Holy Spirit tells you the truth, it's so that he can take you on to what it was supposed to be. And these guys right now needed a perspective change on what faith really was. So he goes on. Because you have to tie this whole chapter together. It says, which in you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in the field, come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me a while. I eat and drink and afterward you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which are commanded, does he? Now remember the things that are commanded are the things that are what? Told. And he says to them, so you too, when you do all things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. So what he does by this parable, because when I first read that several thousand times, it didn't make any sense and why he would say that when they're asking about faith. And what he's telling them is this. Understand something. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by a word or a rhema or an utterance from God. So where does faith come from? God. So then he reels them back and says, don't you understand? I bought. I paid for you. You're mine. You are bond servant of mine. You're no longer your own. And he says to him, you guys, you guys are walking around acting like faith is a banner. And yet I'm the one who gives you the words and I empower you to do the thing that I called you to do. You see, there is no such thing as increase my faith. I guess you could say, God, I I just need to hear you more. I just need to hear you more. So he says it in that way. You are the bond slave. You just did what I told you to do. And not only did I tell you to do it, I empowered you to do it. Think about this. Gabriel approaches Mary, says, greetings, wonderful woman of God. And Mary goes, what? What? I don't see any faith in that. And he says, you're favored of God. You're going to have the son of God. And she goes, I'm going to have a son. I've never had a man. Makes sense. But you don't see any faith in that. So then Gabriel says to her, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to become pregnant. And then he says these words, with God, nothing is impossible. Now I want you to understand something. The Greek translation for nothing comes from three words. And one of those words is rhema. And what Gabriel says sounds like this. Mary, what God has uttered, There's no possibility of it not happening. So he speaks these words to her. He imparts faith to do something she could not do on her own. And watch the transition. She looks and she says, So be it unto your handmaiden the word or the rhema you have spoken. And she moves from doubt and misunderstanding by a word from God to do that which was impossible in the natural. Do you now see how faith becomes God-centered and not man-centered? I've seen people, and we've all, I've been guilty of this. Increase our faith, God. Looks good up on the stage. Takes everybody from an emotional ride. But when you sit around and evaluate what you were saying, it is so unbiblical, it's crazy. God, give me faith. I can't get it on my own. Faith is not measured by the stupidity of the acts you do when you think you're hearing the voices in your head. <laughs> people ask me dave how do I, dave how do i know it's god i said did it happen there's your acid test well no dave it didn't it wasn't god sometimes we add the calendar on when god needs to do things excuse me god last year at 12 o'clock when I was in prayer and fasting with you, you and I had a discussion, and I knew in three months I would be a millionaire. (laughs) Now, God, you spoke that to me. Did it happen? No. Guess it wasn't God. Let Let me throw this at you. If God's giving you a goal or a vision, and you can accomplish it, it's not from God. If God gives you a goal or a vision, there's no possible way for you to do it. That's the opportunity when God moves. There's a story or a testimony of a minister, uh, George Mueller. Have you ever heard of him? Do you know that, that what kind of work that guy did for the kingdom of God? And do you know never once did he ask for a donation to do it? Why? Because God said it and he was just trusting God for it. And God used him greatly for the kingdom of God. Why? It's God-centered. It's not mad-centered. Everything that we've talked about In this short time today is about getting things God centered, not man centered. Amen. Three minutes early. Didn't think I could do it. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, God, for taking us on this journey. God, Stir in our hearts. Make us hungry for you. Because out of knowing you, the incredible journey we can experience, words do not do justice. We look forward to knowing you, God. Continue this, bless this time together. Let your name be lifted up in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Any questions? Anything? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. hmm Mm-hmm. 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 Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all of these things shall be added unto you. You, you, you see, you can't not increase in faith by hanging out in God, with God. It's an absolute fruit of that. So that's the best way to answer it. Now, again, I encourage you, read the word, spend time in prayer, spend time in journal. I'll always tell you that. But don't ever let it become What is the deciding factor in what God does? It's still in his court. Anything else? Yes, sir. Great question. Is faith different than the gift of faith? Yes, I believe it is. Because here's why. Sometimes God gives a greater measure of the Holy Spirit to do something different than maybe anybody else did. That's just like the gifts of healing. God may put an anointing on somebody to, to lay hands on people all the time and have great healing crusades. Now, unfortunately, what happens sometimes we take that as an end of it itself or we try to paint everybody with the same brush. That's where the problem comes in. But it's really by what the Holy Spirit does. So yes, there are times, there are seasons when God will do something different in that context. Great question.